Welcome to Street Knowledge with Chris Graham. Welcome to the podcast. It is Wednesday as we're recording. I am Chris Graham, joined by Crystal Graham, uh, the digital editor of Augusta Free Press. Crystal, how are things going uh, on your side of the digital divide here at Augusta Free Press? Hey, Chris. Well, right now outside, there's a little bit of rain falling in Waynesboro, though it looks like the sun's trying to come out again. I know there was a chance for some hail this afternoon, they said. Um, so certainly a an opportunity for some bad weather. How about you? How are you doing? Well, um, it's also raining uh, here on the second Mm -hmm. floor of the Augusta Free Press um, home office suite. Um, I've got a different view. I'm looking into the backyard and, you know, I'm not seeing sun. (laughs) I'm seeing (laughs) big dark clouds. So, but they are probably moving away from us. So that's a good thing. Um, But no, you know, the rain's good. It makes the flowers grow and the, you know, grass is greener and everything else, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, Chris, I thought we'd start today by talking some politics. You had a couple of stories in the news today regarding the Stanton city elections and the Waynesboro city elections. Let's start in Stanton, uh, where Eric Curran, who's sometimes been a columnist and a guest on this podcast, has announced that he's going to run for city council again. Yeah, you know, I don't I don't think of I don't know if a lot of people remember. It's been a while. Uh, Eric um, ran for the House of Delegates in 2009. And he Ran for city council and won first of two seats, uh, first of two terms on the Stanton City Council in 2012. But yeah, back in the day, he was he was a regular columnist on Augusta Free Press, writing about environmental issues, climate issues. Um, that feels like forever ago. Um, I know from looking at our pictures when we would uh, do do things back in those days, we we had a lot less gray <laughs> our hair and our beards, uh, everything else. You know, Eric. Uh, yeah, Eric served two terms on the city council. Twenty. 12 and 2016 he was elected in 2020 ran for a third term and he was uh ousted among um that wave of republican uh, votes in stanton for the first time in a long time and even you know in that november uh in stanton uh you know joe biden got over 60 percent of the vote um and that's pretty consistent for stanton but for for some reason in may of 2020 there was a big turnout of republicans and all four seats went to republican candidates and so Eric took some time off. In fact, took um, hmm, almost two years off. He finally got back involved. He, he went to uh, a city council meeting earlier this year, um, you know, citing some some issues with, uh, oh my gosh, I mean, th- I've I noted in a story on our Augusta Rebras website, issues including the the, the ousting of this, the, the longtime city manager, Steve Rosenberg. They still haven't replaced him. It's June now. That was done back in January. Uh, the, the removal of Steve Rosenberg, you know, they've been fighting with the schools over funding, fighting with each other over appointing uh, members to an equity and diversity commission, fighting with Augusta County uh, over the future of the Augusta County Courthouse. It's just like it, it's just been two years of nonsense. Uh, and Eric uh, now, you know, he's running on the November ballot. He's he's official today. He's he's actually he's going to, you know, he's his place on the ballot secure. Um The the majority won't change this year. Uh, (laughs) Right, the seats of the Republicans aren't up for vote. But so, whose seats are up uh, in this term? It would be Terry Holmes, Carolyn Dole, and Brenda Mead. Uh, Their seats are up. We don't know about any of those three if they're either you know running or if they're not. I have not I have not uh, seen anything from them on that uh, yet. uh, I think Eric running would indicate that maybe one of those three might be stepping down. Uh, I don't know that he would want to step on the toes of anyone he served on the council with. Um, but, um, you know, he's he's volunteering himself basically for two years of, um, 
beating his head against the wall, uh, given that, uh, you know, he won't be able to, you know, corral a majority, um, he and whoever else might be elected this November with him. But uh, so I admire that. I mean, you know, Stanton elects all of his members of the city council by at large that, you know, unlike Waynesboro, we'll talk about Waynesboro in a few minutes. Uh, Stanton does all at large elections. So that's how you can run every two years. If, uh, if you, you know, if it happened to lose two years ago in his case. So, but yeah, uh, the four seats for the Republicans are not up. So unless one of them were to resign or move out of town or something like that, um, you know, Stanton's going to continue to have probably continue to have the, the silliness and nonsense with, with, um, with their elected government for the, for the next couple of years. But then again, it's, it's what the city, it's what the voters seem to want. But, you know, Eric is a guy, man, he's got experience, um, you know, the eight years of experience on the city council. Uh, and we know where uh, his head and heart lie uh, on important issues. So um, we're actually, I've scheduled a, uh, a podcast with Eric uh, for a couple of weeks uh, away. I think we're going to do that on, on June 21st. And so we're looking forward to having a chance to talk with Eric and learn more about why he's running uh, and what he hopes to achieve uh, if elected this November. And you mentioned that um, Stanton runs at large. What that means is if there's 10 candidates running, whoever out of that, the top three get elected to city council. So that that's kind of how that will work. In well, and it also means you don't have to live in a district. So, you know, the three, the three people could all live next door to each other. Unlike in a place like Waynesboro, which we'll talk about again and coming up in a, in a moment, um, Waynesboro, you actually have one at-large seat on its five-member council. Staten has a seven-member council, all, all seven elected by at-large, which means they can be anywhere in the city. And also you have the top vote-getters, uh, four in one cycle, three in another cycle, get elected. In Waynesboro, there's one at-large seat, uh, and then there are four seated by wards. And so um, you have to actually live in the ward, and now by a new state law, you have to actually – the voters uh, in that ward are the only voters who can – uh, vote for their preferred candidate. So, uh, right. And so that's the big change. And so we were going to shift gears before we talk about an announcement that was made by Waynesboro Mayor Bobby Henderson. I thought, Chris, maybe you could just break that down a little bit for us. The first part of it, of course, is what you just said. The fact that in, in the past, if, no matter which ward you lived in Waynesboro, you could still vote um, in all the uh, city elections. Uh, the, the, the difference now is that, you know, you only vote for the ward that you live in. So, um, but then also, Chris, so I want you to talk about that. But then the second thing is that redistricting also happens. So like in our case, we live in the neighborhood near Home Depot um, on Chatham Road, and we went from being in Ward D to being in Ward B. Many people in Waynesboro may have gotten a voter card in the mail and not even looked at it. But the reason that a lot of those voter cards were sent out was because you know, districts have changed now or wards have changed now. So again, uh, if you did get a card in the mail, I think they came about a month ago, you might want to look to see if there have been any changes. And I know they've also posted a map on the Waynesboro website. The last time I looked, it hadn't been updated. It may have been updated now. But if you have questions about that, of course, you can call the registrar. But Chris, it sounds like there's lots of changes. The other big change, of course, is that Waynesboro used to elect its people to in May. And of course, that's now shifting to November. So uh, lots of changes in Waynesboro. Well, Stanton as well. Stanton also did a May election uh, up until uh, this cycle. So uh, and I think that's a state law as well. Uh, so a couple of state laws impacting us locally. Um, but yeah, the uh, so yeah, I think you covered pretty well the voting war changes. We argued with the voter registrar. No, we live in Ward D. Uh, we got these things in the mail. They're wrong. No, no it turns out that the voter registrar was right, uh, as, as she should have been. Uh, but um, yeah, the, the news uh, today is that the mayor, Bobby Henderson, is not going to run for re-election. And, and that's news because, it's, it, particularly because a month ago, he said he was going to run for re-election. And 
Uh, in fact, uh, on May 12th, he announced he was going to run for re-election. He was elected back in 2018. Uh, and, um, you know, it's interesting. He, he ran, and it felt like in 2018 he was probably going to align more with the conservative members of the city council. In Waynesboro, they're, unlike in Stanton, the four who got elected in 2020 all identify as Republicans. I don't know if they identify as Republicans. In Waynesboro, um, uh, we haven't had until now this cycle, there are the Republican committee is nominating candidates uh, this, this cycle to run for the two open seats, Ward C and D. Uh, but um, it, traditionally, it's not it's not banned by state law or local ordinance, but traditionally candidates have run as independents. Uh, but Henderson, as an independent, seemed like, again, he was going to probably more more align himself with the the more conservative members of the council. It's kind of like he's like he's like Waynesboro's John Roberts, uh, the, uh, the Supreme Court justice, its chief justice, who was nominated uh, uh, by a Republican president. And was looked at as a guy who was probably going to align with Republicans uh, and, and conservative stances on in court issues, and has 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 largely not done that. Uh, Henderson has been the same way. He's actually largely aligned with uh, the two more progressive members of the city council, Sam Hostetter and Terry Short, the former mayor. And um, so, in that sense, it's going to be a big loss for for people like us who. Uh, back to progressive of um, progressive policies that more progressive policies. I don't I don't want to you know throw out there that Waynesboro has become a progressive city, but certainly a lot more progressive than it has been for the last fifteen years. Um, he cited in his announcement that that he's not going to run for re-election. That his job has gotten more intensive, and his day his day job that is he's he's worked for an uh, as a vice president of a fire investigative firm. And that his uh, it's just kind of it's getting too hard to balance, you know, doing what he needs to do on his day job and then doing what he needs to do as the member of city council and the mayor. But, you know, it's curious, though, Crystal, I I've, when I was pouring through his his uh, city council member Facebook page where he had posted this announcement that he was not going to be running for reelection after having announced a month ago that he was, I found um, the day after his announcement that he was going to run back in May. Uh, he had engaged in a, a lengthy discussion with a city resident who had been critical of city council's vote, the three to two vote back in April to approve Sunset Park, uh, the two million dollar project, one hundred twenty five thousand dollars of city money um, to build a park um, on the old landfill property up above the city. Uh, and um, uh, he gosh, it was interesting. It was really insightful to read. And, and you know, I, I would ask reader, ask listeners here to maybe go to that. But. You know, among the highlights, he just talked about how, uh, you know, he was elected in 2018. Uh, he wanted to work to move the city forward. And, you know, he says, why, you know, what this, this particular resident who raised issue on Facebook uh, mentioned the 14 full time openings on the city police force. And he said, why do we have 14 open positions on our police department on this Facebook post? Uh, I would agree it came from failed leadership. Unfortunately, the failed leadership started with the council back in 2007, who chose to listen to political party leadership rather than a professional leadership of the city manager. Uh, and so, you know, it's it's interesting that a person who, once they decide they're not going to run for re-election, they, they feel like they can speak freely. You kind of wish this Bobby Henderson had spoken freely for the last four, this freely for the last four years. Um, he's, he, he wrote that uh, those councils, uh, you know, dating back to 2007, we're so proud of having cut our taxes back to one of the lowest tax rates in the state. They did not care about our city growth or our city employees. The sad truth their falling was caused by buckling to party politics. They failed to plan and invest. They failed us and future generations. And here we are living a failure to plan. 
So, um, yeah, it's, you know, now that, uh, you know, here's the guy that we thought four years ago was going to align with the conservatives. And, and uh, you know, now with a few months left in his term, uh, he's outing himself uh, as a person who wants to see the city, you know, make progress. And uh, uh, it's, it's gosh, you know, I hate to hate to see the guy go in that sense. Um, you know, obviously he was doing some he was trying to do some good things for the city. So you said Ward C and Ward D, Sam Hossetter's seat, are up in the November election. We haven't heard from Sam yet as to whether he plans to run for re-election. Well, um, this this is uh, one of those things about being uh, reporters and editors in a in a. Um, this is not a small city; it's twenty five thousand residents. But it, Sam is our doctor. <laughs> Full disclosure: Sam is our is our uh, is our family doctor. Um, and we talk with Sam on a regular basis about medical issues, but uh, we, we, we make it a point not to talk with him about politics when we're talking about medical issues. Uh, so, uh, we've spoken with Sam, but we've not spoken with Sam about his politics and we've not heard about his, his political decisions, but you know, these decisions will have to be coming up soon. Um, because the ballot, I want to say it's the second Tuesday, the second Wednesday, excuse me. And, um, um, no, the second Wednesday would be today, though. It must be. It must be next week that the deadline would be to get on the to, to submit your uh, petitions with signatures and all your paperwork and everything else, and get approved by the registrar to be on the ballot. So, um, well, I would expect something one way or the other, certainly uh, within the next week. So it sounds like we'll get some names as far as who is running for both Stanton and Waynesboro very soon. So we'll stay tuned on that. If you want to read those stories that Chris has been talking about, both the Stanton with Eric Curran running for uh, election, I'll say re-election, but I guess it's election again since he's had a term off. And also the story about Bobby Henderson uh, first deciding to run and then a day later saying he's not going to run. Not a day, a month later. A month, a later. month later. Okay, yeah, sorry. Okay. I thought yeah, it said a, a day. So yeah. anyway, but you can read both of those stories online at AugustaFreePress.com or find links to both of those stories on our Facebook page. Chris, one other quick local story that I wanted to mention before we shift gears a little bit, and it has to do with Charlottesville. Uh, they were actually planning some West Main streetscape improvements and uh, pulled the plug on this $50 million project citing funding due to COVID or issues related to the COVID pandemic. Uh, what, what, what do you know about that? Well, the issues related to the COVID pandemic are really just money issues. And, and the money issues are at every level of government, uh, from local governments all the way up to the federal government. The difference being with local and state governments, at least, they can't go into debt. I mean, well, they can, you know, you can, you can, you can bond things out, but you know, you can't just um, do what the federal government does and, and borrow money um, to, to fund operations. And so uh, the city of Charlottesville has been working for about the last 10 years on the, the behind the scenes part of uh, what, what, what the main West main street streetscape improvements, West main street, that area that sort of feeds into the downtown mall Um it's really grown up in the last, uh, gosh, you know, last uh, last ten or fifteen years. You know, I'm I'm a graduate of the University of Virginia, and um, you know, there it, it's still every time we go to Charlottesville, downtown Charlottesville, we try to go about once a month. Um, it's, I still think back to how empty, you know, the space between the University of Virginia grounds and the downtown used to be. It used to just be a lot of open space. There were there were train tracks there, the train station was there, and other than that, there was nothing there. Uh, and now it's just full of full of you know a lot of vibrancy. I mean, a lot of businesses, a lot of uh, entertainment venues, just just a lot of life. But in the course of that, you know, anytime you have a lot of development, you know, things get, can kind of get too big. And so, 
um, the city was trying to look at some ways to to improve um, uh, the flow of traffic. I mean, you know, the visibility, the the visual and, and you know aesthetics of things. And so for 10 years, uh, they'd been working with, uh, you know, internally, also with VDOT, you know, and spent from estimates about $10 million, probably uh, all told, uh, between state and local money uh, on plans to do some, you know, some major streetscape improvements. And now the, the, the estimated project cost uh, for these improvements would have been an additional $50 million. So, you know, looking at the realities of the last couple of years, uh, lower local tax revenues. I mean, you know, Charlottesville is a city that that uh, get, has a lot, a big portion of its tax base uh, is 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 retail, uh, uh, restaurant sales taxes. You know, those kind of things that have just been largely lacking because of the you know the, the COVID pandemic. The you know, the, and we're now out of it, but the the effects are still there. So. The city had some choices to make. They had some other capital projects they needed to fund, uh, particularly with schools. And the city leaders just looked at it and said, not sure we have an extra $50 million to these streetscape improvements. So it's really tough, but, you know, I'll give them credit. I mean, you know, it's really hard to, and really hard politically, especially, you know, the, the mayor and vice mayor, the mayor uh, Lloyd Snook, the vice mayor, Juan Diego Wade, uh, were really behind this, this streetscape improvement project. And, you know, this can have some political repercussions for them uh, down the road, uh, you know, when they if, if they decide to run for reelection at the end of their terms. And, uh, you know, when you identify yourself with something and then you pull it off the table, it can really have some 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 damaging repercussions personally for you politically. But uh, I, I admire in one sense that they said, nope, we don't have the money to do it. Let's just not let's just not you know go through with this right now. Um, and so, but it's tough because there's a lot of money already been committed to it and the plans are there, you know, I, I, the, credit to NBC 29 for, for uh, breaking this story. We're reporting it secondarily, but the mayor Lloyd Snook said, you know, we can look at this down the road and the plans will still be there. But we know from, you know, my, my 25 plus years of covering local governments here in the, the Valley in central Virginia tell me that it's really hard to, to, you know, if you pick up these planes, even a year or two from now, there's going to have to be adjustments made and more money spent to it, to, to, to whatever, because there's new state laws that may go into effect, new local ordinances, new, you know, whatever. So, um, yeah, it's pretty much dead. All right. Shifting gears just a little bit to more of a national story. Chris, you were listening in today on the House Committee testimony um, from from family members, from parents whose children were killed in Texas at that elementary school um, just just, uh, just recently. I'm trying to look at the date on that. I know it's been in the last week or two that that, that has happened. I know that um, it touched you and that you were uh, visibly shaken by that. You wrote, you wrote a short story about that, and I wanted to give you an opportunity to talk a little bit about what you heard. Yeah, it, not that it matters this part, but I will, I will share that it was a point in the morning of work morning that you know, I'm looking for, you know, I like, I like to write uh, e either a humor column or just a slice of life column or something like that, just to kind of, you know, we write a lot of hard news and, and uh, you know, sports news and, and really detailed things. And sometimes I'm looking for something just to just to lighten the mood. So it was at that time when I'm and happen to have one of the background and low volume in the background, the 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 news and uh, the, the news station we had on was was live at the, the this House committee hearing on gun violence. And yeah, I couldn't get away from it. Uh, it was kind of hard to write a personal slice of life or humor column after hearing from, you know, not it wasn't just, I mean, I ended up making the column about Kimberly Rubio, her, her daughter, Lexi, 
was among the 19 students and two teachers killed in Uvalde at the uh, at the elementary school there a couple of weeks ago. Um, we also heard from the the town's only pediatrician. As it turns out, they have one pediatrician, and 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 he was called to the scene and, and talked in detail about how you know he and other doctors were just waiting in, ultimately in vain for um, patients to show up that they could treat, um, and and then described um, the the. the bodies that they eventually saw of the young students particularly and bodies that were only held together by the clothes they were wearing um that's the damage that basically vaporized i mean you know that's the damage assault rifles do to people um and we heard also from a student who uh, the, the student you, you, that a lot of folks have probably heard of here who are who are listening in the student whose best friend was killed on top of her, landed on top of her, and she smeared her, her best friend's blood all over her face and played dead. That's how she survived. We heard from that student. I've also read, and the, 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 she didn't talk about this today, but I've read when I was looking up more about that young lady, the, the fourth grader who had to do that to continue to live, that um, she, oh, I, I lost my train of thought there. She, oh, that she... Um, she, she described, um, the, the teacher who was also in that, the teacher in that room was killed, that the teacher uh, locked the door, told them all to hide and that this girl looked up. And when the, the gunman eventually got into the room, he walked up to her with his, his assault rifle, pointed his gun at the teacher's head and said, good night, and then pulled the trigger. This young, this fourth grader has to live with that the rest of her life. And, and then so you, you hear those stories and then you hear from the parents of Lexi Rubio and Kimberly Rubio, the mother and her, her husband, Felix. Felix is a Iraq war veteran and he is also a Uvalde County uh, Sheriff's deputy. He could not speak. He was he was I mean, Kimberly could barely speak, but he could not speak. You know, and he's when you see him standing, um, he was seated in this when he was t talking today to the to the house. But I've seen pictures of him standing beside his wife. He's this big strapping, looks like he's six three or six four. He looks like a guy who fought in Iraq. He looks like a guy who's a sheriff's deputy, and he was reduced to he couldn't he couldn't speak. He couldn't talk. Um, uh, the mother Kimberly described Lexi uh, as being. Um, she was she was a fourth grader. Uh, she had just gotten um, uh, an award uh, that that was Assembly Day. Any anybody who remembers you know school, we all remember this. The last you know day or two of school, you'd have a school assembly, and you know the teachers would give out awards for things like perfect attendance and gr grades and things like that. And she got a perfect attendance award, and she also got an award for getting straight A's. Um, smart kid uh, with with smart parents and. Um, the mother described that she was going to attend. She wanted to attend St. Mary's University, which is a private university in San Antonio, not far from there. I think about 90 miles or so from there. She wanted to play softball. She wanted to major in math. She wanted to go to law school. Um, also, I mean, when I was doing research on, on Lexi, um, found that Governor Greg Abbott there in Texas had requested to meet with the parents of uh, each of the victims. And 
the, the parents, Lexi's parents declined the invitation. They said that their daughter was already politically minded and she was a big advocate for gun control and she wouldn't have wanted to meet Greg, Ab uh, the governor there, Greg, Governor Abbott. So they, the, in her memory, they didn't, they didn't go to that meeting. Um, the mother said she would have made the world a better place, but she won't get that chance. Um, and what was haunting, and this is the reason I wrote, so I had to, I have to explain all that. This is what haunted and we don't even have kids. Anybody out there listening who has kids, she said these words, and I went back and transcribed them a couple of times to make sure they're accurate. Somewhere out there, there's a mom listening to our testimony thinking, I can't even imagine their pain, not knowing that our reality will one day be hers. Mm. That's haunting. It's haunting. It's haunting, and it's so true. I, like you said, it was in the background here, and hearing the the parents, you know, they were very sad, and and the next group of parents were very mad, and there was just such a mix, and you know, it's it's just so hard to imagine. But you know, with the number of mass shootings that have taken place in the last two weeks here in the United States, you have to agree with her with her thoughts there you know this could happen anywhere this could happen in you know waynesboro stanton augusta county we already had you know a, a terrible incident that happened in charlottesville you know and, and so the, these kinds of things can happen right in your own backyard and so if, if i certainly understand the family uh wanting something to happen related to gun control and uh it seems like reasonable measures can be put in place but you know it, it, it seems like congress is only willing to do so much unfortunately and what what really needs to happen it's, it's you see all these things on facebook about how an 18 year old can't buy a beer an 18 year old could go and buy an assault rifle i mean there's just something there that does not make sense and uh it seems like the united states more than any other country deals with these mass shootings um, as a result of that, as a result of that well, ban being lifted. Not just mass shootings, one person shootings. I mean, Crystal, you work in suicide prevention. Half of gun deaths in the United States are, are suicides. Um, you know, if, you know, it, it, it's, it's the, the hom homicides that don't get the attention that, that, you know, the Buffalo mass shooting, the Uvalde mass shooting get, um, the Chattanooga mass shooting, the Philadelphia mass, these are all in the last like three weeks um, that they, that they get. Um, it's uh, you know, we have many times the, the gun deaths in our country as any other country. I mean, you add the rest of the world up combined, we have more than that. Um, and, uh, and we don't do anything. And, you know, a couple of pathetic things to point out about this, this committee hearing today um, one Republican, Jim Jordan, uh, who's on the committee, left the room so he wouldn't have to listen to the emotional testimony. Two others, I, and I don't have the names on, committed to memory, and I'm, I'd have to look it up here. But when I, I, I you know, two others uh, were were seen rolling their eyes mm -hmm. at some of the testimony, rolling their eyes like they 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 don't want to believe what they're being told they need to do. I remember right after this happened, there were calls to release the photos of some of the children who had been murdered. And the reason why was so that you could see what an assault rifle does to, you know, fourth and fifth graders, you know, and, and teachers and that kind of thing. And, and you kind of described it earlier, you know, the fact that the only thing that, you know, could identify some of these young people is the clothing that was basically holding them together. And so the, the reason that there was a, a you know, a call to release these photos, you know, to have the parents agree to do that was so that perhaps, you know, some of these people who 
don't seem to embrace common sense gun laws, you know, their minds could be changed. I don't think that it would change their mind, unfortunately. Um, but something, I don't know what it's going to take to shake them. Is it going to take, you know, something happening in their own community before they start to look at a different stance on this? And that's one person at a time. You know, right now there doesn't seem to be a movement, you know, for for a lot of, you know, lawmakers to, well, to do something about. There's this. a way to get lawmakers, though, and see, you know, and, and it's got to start with getting more american voters mm -hmm. uh and you know i'm getting ready to write about i mean as we were getting ready to start recording this this podcast you know i I'd just gotten into writing a story about a new quinnipiac university poll uh and we you know we still need to get american people to realize you know the poll suggests that 57 percent of americans now support quote unquote stricter gun laws but then you start diving into the the numbers and what you know I, I, it, it Define stricter gun laws. You know, um, you, you, you see support for now making it so that you have to be 21 to buy an assault rifle. <laughs> well, okay, you know, if you're if you wait till you're 21 and buy the assault rifle and still shoot up, you know, either a mall or a school or a hospital, um, does that does that make it better that you're 21 and not 18? I mean, um, do do we need these weapons of war? for anything and you see well, and, and, and two things i wanted you to talk about chris related to that um one was you know there was an assault rifle ban for a number of years before years, it was yeah. lifted yeah and and there have been a lot of um stories that i've been reading recently that talk about how there was a major decline in shootings you know especially of this mass nature during that time period that there was a ban i don't know who who lifted that ban or what the history was of that but i'd like you to break that down the other thing that i well, wanted to just mention was this week new york actually took an interesting stance and they said okay they, they can't necessarily outlaw all you know make a law about assault rifles that you can't buy them but what they've said is it's now illegal in new york to own an assault rifle if you're under the age of 21 so there are some states that are stepping in and trying to enact laws that in some way address what Congress seems to be unwilling to do anything about. Yeah. So your first point was the assault rifle, the assault weapons ban. It was passed in 1994. It, at, when it was passed, it had a 10 year sunset. Basically that meant that in, you know, the, the idea would be at the time I was still in college when that passed, but it, from what I remember about that and what I've researched about that since, um, the idea was we'll gather data to see the impact of it. And then in 10 years, we'll decide whether or not to, to extend the ban either for another 10 years or permanently. Think about 2004, we had a Republican president, Republican Congress. So um, they clearly didn't take that up. Uh, and even though studies indicated that, yes, uh, you know, certainly mass shootings perpetrated with mass with with assault rifles, you know, went, uh, went, went significantly down. Uh, we just we just didn't have the political will to reenact it um, and, and either extend it or, or make it permanent. Um, uh, other countries, you know, had common sense in 1996, Australia. So we, we were first. Right. We banned assault rifles for 10 years, 1994. In 1996, Australia uh, had a mass shooting. Um, I want to say somewhere around 50 people died in, in, in a particular mass shooting. And within two weeks, they banned assault rifles. And this is a country that is, I mean, you know, let's just think culturally about Australia. Australia is the former penal, I mean, a couple hundred years ago was the penal colony for the British Empire. 
you know, the people who who are now <laughs> Australian citizens, and we know one 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 of our friends is a, an Australian. Um, they they were they, they've propagated down the generations from from formal former convicts that that the the Brits said we don't want to have him here here in the the British Isles anymore. We're going to send them literally all the way across the world and make them live on this continental island. Um, and uh, uh, I you, you you in that country banned assault rifles, <laughs> and the the uh, UK had a mass shooting in the 1990s. They banned assault rifles. Then they went ahead and banned handguns. Um, Israel is is literally a war zone. They're in the Middle East. They're surrounded by enemies. You know, you know, and and they kind of egg it on a bit too. And to, in Israel. To qualify for a gun license, you have to be 27 years old or have served in the military. But even then, it's not guaranteed. You then have to uh, present a doctor's note attesting to your physical and mental well-being. Um, and uh, even then, if you are approved, and again, it's not guaranteed you're going to approve. It's not like you just check a box, and then if you check all three boxes, you get, you, you get your gun license. If you get your gun license, you can own one gun. And 50 rounds of ammunition in a war zone. Um, and here in this country, we have decided that the Second Amendment means that you can own anything you want short of a nuclear missile um, and use it whenever you want to. Right. And um, when the founders, of course, wrote the Constitution, what kind of guns were available? Certainly not semi-automatic Well, it's, it's also important to point out that until the 1970s, um, our legislators – being Congress and our judiciary being the Supreme Court interpreted the Second Amendment to mean what the founders intended it to mean, which was, you know, there's two parts to the Second Amendment. There's a comma in between. And too many people only look at the part after the comma, which is the rights to own the right to own um, uh, our, the right to bear arms shall not be infringed. There is a part about the, the, the necessity of a well-regulated militia being essential to the uh, freedom of a nation. I'm not quoting it directly. I'm quoting it from memory. Um, but the well-regulated militia part. So um, there's there's some people who will throw out what well, what well-regulated militia really means. Essentially, think about 1787. We had just fought a war that went on for seven years for our independence from Britain. Um, it's we spent four years trying to figure out how to govern ourselves. Do you think that the founders? You know, you'll hear a lot of uh, zealots on this issue say well they wanted us to have the right to bear arms in case our government got too uh out of control and we could overthrow the government do you think in 1787 these people who fought the revolution who fought the british for seven years said let's give everybody let's give everybody the chance to own guns to overthrow us no that's not what it was for it was because we faced an existential threat still from great britain which was i mean at that time the United, you know, what became the United States, defeating Great Britain in a in a war of of independence. I mean, Great Britain was what we are now, and it's pretty much like, I don't know, Cuba or the or Barbados or Bermuda, fighting the, you know the United States with all of its might. The the British Empire at that time was at its height. It was at its strongest. We we wanted people to be able to have guns so that if we if the Brits invaded us, which they did in the War of eighteen twelve. At the, at, at the time of 1787, we didn't have a standing army. 
So if you don't have a standing army and you don't have anybody out there with weapons to be able to call up and say, hey, you know, the Brits are coming again. We need to you know, fight them off. Then you're screwed. So instead, they said, hey, let's make sure that we have, you know, people out there, farmers out there who want to have guns. We need a well, we need a militia just in case we get invaded again. And that way we can fight off the existential threat, not the internal threat. They didn't the people who wrote the Constitution didn't consider themselves a threat. They considered the Brits a threat. And 25 years later, the Brits invaded our country. So um, now we're being told that we're supposed to have guns so that we can defend ourselves against a tyrannical government. Um, and that's what these that's and, and honestly, Crystal, there are too many smart people who have bought into that BS to have it make any sense that we want to call these people smart people, but they're smart people, but they buy into it. No, it's, it's so we can, we can, we did for almost 200 years regulate what weapons you could buy, what conditions under which you could have them, how long it could take to, you know, for you to get access to a weapon. And now what we're saying is, Hey, flamethrower. Sure. Whatever. We don't care. What just, if you want it, you can buy it. Um, and, and that's where we've gone off the rails. And, and people need to wake up, stand up, show a backbone. Democrats need to show a backbone. Republicans who don't agree that little kids should be getting shot in schools, that doctors should be getting shot because a, a person doesn't feel like their back surgery went well, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. If you, if you think this is crazy and you're tired of it, it's up to you. It's not up to those lawmakers. We can replace those lawmakers. Yeah, and that was my point is that individuals need to make sure that their voice is heard and not be quiet. You know, don't quiet down until the next mass shooting. You know, we need to, you know, people who are engaged on this issue need to stay engaged on this issue until there is change. And not just these little baby steps that they're talking about could pass in Congress. There's, there is an overhaul needed on this. Um, in my opinion. So Chris, I want to shift gears just real quickly and uh, uh, talk about a couple sports stories you had, and maybe you can give us kind of a, a quick recap. It's hard to follow that story because of course, we're both passionate um, about the fact that assault well, we, should we'll not end be- on a lighter note. We'll make, we'll leave people happy, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So let's start with, um, well, this is kind of a funny story, but not a funny story. I mean, um, so anybody who follows UVA football knows uh, quarterback Brennan Armstrong, and he is among one of the first, or maybe the first athlete from the University of Virginia to get an NIL deal with, believe it or not, McDonald's. And the Waynesboro-based McDonald's actually own, the people in Waynesboro actually own the franchises over in Charlottesville as well. And from what I understand, he's going to be able to make up his own meal. So you can go and order a Brennan Armstrong meal. Yeah. You know, there have been some other athletes who've announced quote-unquote NIL deals, um, but none on this level. The other NIL deals that I've seen have involved basically social media promotion. Hey, post a couple things about our business and we'll, we'll you know, give you some money. Um, this is the first relatively high profile. I don't want to overstate it, but R-A-H-E Incorporated, which is based in Waynesboro. So for the for our UVA listeners out there, the diaspora of Wahoo Nation, you know, it's right here in my backyard. Um, based, It's on Broad Street in Waynesboro. Uh, but the R-A-H-E folks own uh, several franchises here in the Valley, Central Virginia, Charlottesville area. Uh, and um, the owner there, Rick Hendricks, uh, 
is uh, someone who he, he signed a deal with Cavalier Futures, which uh, for, for regular listeners to our other you know, our sports podcast might remember Cavalier Futures. Low Davis uh, was on a podcast with Jerry Ratcliffe and I a couple weeks ago. Um, it's a it's a not it's not affiliated directly with EVA, but everybody who works for is EVA people. So take that for what it is. Um, they're working with UVA on getting deals in the NIL sphere. Uh, and the RAHA people, the McDonald's people here based in Waynesboro throughout the Valley in Central Virginia, um, were the first people to sign on uh, with Cavalier Futures. Uh, and that was a general, hey, you know, we'll support your athletes, that kind of thing. Um, Brennan's deal with McDonald's is the first substantial deal out of that uh, partnership. <clears throat> and in addition to, yeah, you know, you talked about the meal. We'll talk about the meal deal in a minute. Um, he'll do some social media posting too. And also it involves uh, Brennan advocating for the local Ronald McDonald house charities. Uh, you know, and that's a great, that's a great cause to get involved with. Uh, but the part that, that you will see out there uh, in UVA nation and well, I guess tech nation too, you can order one if you want um, at your local McDonald's will be, um, some sort of Brennan Armstrong combo, uh, the details of which are not known right now. I started thinking about this, Crystal. You're like, okay, so if if someone wanted me, hey, Chris, we, we're going to sign a sponsorship deal. We're McDonald's. We want you to have your own combo. You guys start thinking, what would you want? I mean, we eat the two cheeseburger meal whenever we eat there. We don't eat there very often, but the two if there's already a two cheeseburger meal. So, you know, Brendan's got to start thinking like, yeah, okay. you have to do something creative, like a two <laughs> cheeseburger meal, but you'd have to add something on it. That's not currently on it or, you know, mix it up yeah. with some weird yeah. side or something like that, you know, so it's yeah, he's got to be creative yeah. on that respect. You can't just do a boring two cheeseburger meal. So yeah, it's got to be something fun. It's got to be a burger with, oh, you know, honey on it or something. I don't know. It's got to be something, you know. Or- <laughs> hey, you're, you're thinking, you're thinking along the right lines. So, so, Brennan, if you're listening, there's a whole lot of pressure on you right now, man. You got to come up with something that's going to be like something that we'll remember even after you're gone at UVA. So, and something that'll make us go grab a burger, right? <laughs> exactly. I mean, I, I, I want to go to the McDonald's. I don't, we don't go to McDonald's very often, but I can't, the first, when I hear this is out, I'm going to go to McDonald's and say, I want the Brennan Armstrong combo, please. Yeah, um, so uh, so stay tuned for that information. I'm sure that Chris will report on it as soon as we know what that special combo is going to be. And it's so nice to, like you said, lift the mood a little bit with a fun story. Um, another story that's kind of near and dear to our heart that I thought maybe that we could touch on, Chris, has to do with um, pitcher for the Washington National, Steven Strasburg, who's been out for some time due to an injury. We actually went and saw him at the Fred Nats Park, Fred Fredericksburg Nationals um, Park here a couple weeks ago, uh, where he was doing kind of his, I guess his bringing him back to the majors. He was doing a couple of games and rehab uh, starts. Yeah, they call them rehab yeah, starts. Rehab yeah. starts. There you go. You're more of a sports person than that's me. That's all right. That's okay. That's okay. Yeah. <laughs> but the long and short of it is that he is coming back to the Nationals. He's done the rehab starts. They feel like he's in a good place now, and he's going to be pitching for them on Thursday. Yeah, this is this is big news for Nats fans. I mean, it won't save this season. The Nats are currently twenty-one and thirty-six, deep in last place in the NL East. But um, you know, if, if you look at the future for the Nats, uh, you know what Mike Rizzo, the gen- general manager, is trying to do is a quick rebuild uh, around uh, a couple of pieces: Juan Soto and Steven Strasburg. And, and Juan Soto is is having his batting average isn't what it's it's normally but that he he started last year off slow too and ended up over 300 and his home run numbers everything else are great um Strasburg had not will have will have not pitched until tomorrow night since last at the major league level since last June 1st 
Um, and since he signed his uh, seven-year, $245 million deal after the 2019 World Series, he was the World Series MVP that year. He's only pitched in seven games at the big league level with a one and three record, 5.74 ERA. Um, he had surgery in 2020 uh, for carpal tunnel. He had surgery in 2021 for thoracic outlet syndrome. So um, pretty serious issues to deal with. And it was not a given that you would necessarily even see him pitching this year. I mean, it, certainly the plan was, the hope was that he would be able to pitch this year. Uh, but Stra uh, we, we were there, as you mentioned. Scott German, our colleague, was at Stra uh, Strasburg's first start with the Fred Nats. Um, and it was a cold night. Uh, it was his first start, you know, first time against live hitters and that kind of thing. He didn't do so well. Uh, the, start, the start we saw on the Sunday afternoon, I think it was May 22nd, it was a warm day, uh, great weather to, to play baseball in, you know, and he pitched, what, five no-hit innings. He walked one guy. That was in his the fifth inning. I think it was two outs in the fifth before he even allowed a base runner in that game. His fastball was regularly hitting 94. I was noticing that. That was important to me as an observer to, hey, if his fastball is around 94, his curveball is, is, is off the table like it normally is, his changeup looks good. All right, good. Uh, the Nats wanted to see one more start out of him at the minor league level. They sent him to AAA Rochester for a game last Friday night. Uh, six innings, one hit allowed. And um, they wanted him to pitch at least six innings or throw 90 pitches. He threw 83 pitches. And so Davey Martinez said yesterday uh, in announcing that Strasburg will start tomorrow night for, for uh, the Nationals against the uh, Miami Marlins down in Miami that basically all shackles are off. Uh, you know, he's not going to be on a pitch count. He's not going to be on an innings count. He's going to go out there and do what he can do. And um, and so this is huge news for the Nats. Again, this season, you're likely going to see him start about 20 games. It's not going to turn the season around. They're not going to make a surprise. They're not going to do what they did three years ago and go from a bad start to the World Series. But the hope here is that you will see Strasburg uh, establish himself again the way we expect Strasburg to be, you know, have a, have a good numbers, good record in his games, that kind of thing. Uh, and, and, and then you can build around him, build around Juan Soto and maybe next year's team will have a chance. You know, you'll, you'll, you'll see that, that they'll try to build around those two guys and maybe make next year. And certainly the following year, the, the Nats have a, a deadline of, of, of a pretty important deadline of one sort. Uh, Juan Soto is under team control contract wise through the end of the 2024 season, which means, they're trying to make efforts already to re-sign him long-term. They'd love to sign him to a basically lifetime contract. They'd love to sign him like the Phillies did Bryce Harper, the former Nats star. He signed a 13-year deal when he left the Nationals. That's essentially the end of his – that's going to take him through the end of his career. The Nats would love to do the same with Juan Soto. Um, but to prove to Juan Soto that he doesn't want to play for a bad team. Juan Soto is a generational talent. He's going to be a Hall of Fame player. He doesn't want to spend his, his Hall of Fame career kind of like Mike Trout is out in, in Los Angeles with the Angels – year after year not making the playoffs so um you you want to prove to soto that we can build around you and build a winner strasburg's an important element of that so yes it's not going to save this season but i think it can it can it can pay dividends down the road for nats fans and we're two big nats fans yeah and i'm sure that uh martinez just wanted to get him on the mound as soon as possible there were some grumblings on social media from fans who said they can't believe his first start wasn't at home but again now that he got the call back up i'm sure that they were wanting him to pitch as soon well, as it was possible i will go into that too not even just as soon as possible he's on a road he's on a set pitchers starting pitchers pitch Every fifth day, <laughs> I mean, they get into a they get into a rhythm that way. Now, there's off days in between and that kind of thing, and so 
Um, his fifth day would actually be tonight, Wednesday night, uh, from from his last start last Friday. Uh, but the Nats also they, they started their 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 number one starter this year is a young pitcher named Josiah Gray. He was acquired in the trade for Max Scherzer and, and Trey Turner last year. And Gray is looking pretty good. He's six and four this season, and they didn't want to throw him off schedule. So they decided to give Strasburg one extra day rest. But if you wait another day, I mean, you know, this is a guy that's coming off of two surgeries. You don't want to mess around too much. And so that would have maybe necessitated another rehab start for Strasburg. And, and the decision, I think it's a pretty wise decision. Let's get him out there, throw him in a major league game. And uh, he's, he's done what he can do against the minor league guys. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm all, you know, the hard part, Crystal. Okay. We'll, we'll take it back to politics for a second. Tomorrow night is this game. And also tomorrow night um, is the, is the first hearing of the, the televised hearing of the uh, January 6th committee house, house January 6th committee. We're going to have to, you know, we, we normally set up two TVs in our, and we will do this tonight because tonight there's AEW wrestling. There's also game three of the NBA finals where big wrestling fans were big, big enough Golden State Warriors fans. Tonight's a two TV night in our living room. I think tomorrow night's a two TV night in our living room as well. All right, Chris. Well, a lot to keep up with a lot. To hey, watch. no reaction to that. Yeah. Well, I'm, um... I'm used to it, you know, used I'm it, used yeah. to these two TVs, you know, we have some friends who come over to watch sports with us because we can do that setup, you know, so they can watch a game and now, we can watch something else and now we can tonight, all kind of be there together. The audio will be on the wrestling tonight until the wrestling's over tomorrow. Gosh, you know, I got to choose. I mean, we obviously have to have the audio for the hearing. Um, yeah, yeah, I don't think there's any choice there. I think the audio for the hearing, we can just keep up with the game. But we have we have an 80 inch TV, and then we'll bring a 50 inch, pretty lightweight 50 inch TV. Um, the big screen tonight has the wrestling and the audio. Tomorrow, the and and, and then the baseball, the uh, basketball game is on the small screen until you know after the wrestling is over. Tomorrow night, I think I'm going to have. I mean, this is what I'm advocating for. We'll see how it goes. I'm advocating for the big screen to be the baseball, but the small screen to have the audio because. You know, I don't need to see necessarily what they're showing. I just want to hear what they're saying. Yeah, that's going to be interesting. I mean, yeah, that's a good call. I think that's a good call yeah, for tomorrow yeah. night. So. Tough calls, <laughs> tough calls to make there, though. All right. So we want to thank everyone who tuned in and listened throughout this podcast. We're going to try to do this weekly, keep you up to date on the news and sports. Of course, Chris is doing podcasts throughout the week, but as far as when I jump in and join him at least once a week. So tune in again next week, but we want to thank you. If you want to read any of these stories, any additional information on them, you can of course go to our website, AugustaFreePress.com. For Chris Graham, I'm Crystal Graham. We're signing off. Have a great day, everybody.